everyone, welcome to the Paw Awareness Podcast, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and also check us out at pawawareness.org and on Instagram at pawawareness underscore official. On Instagram, we are doing submissions for Pet of the Week, where you can submit your foster pet and we'll pick one winner every month and we'll give $200 to their choice of charity or foster. Thanks for watching and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the Paw Awareness Podcast. Today I've got Brett Reynolds on from The Dog Stop and I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself as well as all the dog training he does over there because he's the head dog trainer and I think it's interesting too because we got to speak with someone from The Dog Stop last episode and so today we get to talk about all of the ins and outs of the training and kind of what he has going on over there. So Brett, feel free to introduce yourself as well as your background and uh, what you do at the dog stop. Brett Reynolds, I've been uh, professionally training dogs for 15 years. I've been with the dog stop for about five. Jesse and Chris and I co-founded the dog stop training and fitness center, which is attached to one of our locations here in Pittsburgh. This is a, the only dedicated training space that we have in our system so far, but uh, it's uh, meant to just be a launching point so we can continue to grow the brand. Uh, here we have a little bit of everything. We do group classes, private training. There's a board and train option or dogs can be trained when they're here for daycare. So it's something for everyone, uh, something for every dog. Not every service is appropriate for every dog. I think uh, private training is probably our most popular, uh, the close second being drop off and train. So uh, if a dog is coming here to socialize for the day, they can get some enrichment, they can get some additional activity. If the owner has a specific goal, they tell us, hey, my dog jumps on people and they pull on the leash, is that something you could work on? And, and that's uh, we can fulfill those services, kind of a one-stop shop. So if a dog's here for boarding, we can do the same thing we have a more intensive program where the dog stays for two weeks or longer and gets training every day. And then part of that package is before the dog goes home, we do training to catch the owner up on what the dog has learned so they can maintain the progress whenever they return to their house. You know, interestingly, throughout everyone's struggles and businesses closing after COVID, I think this industry has experienced a pretty big boom because so many people adopted dogs while under quarantine and, uh, you know, it's a, a wonderful thing for everyone involved, but it, it, it's been a blessing in disguise for uh, the training business because uh, with all those adoptions comes the need for training. So um, I think once people started returning to a somewhat normal schedule, those of us here on the East Coast, um, more people have started going back to the office again. And uh, unfortunately, there's, there's, that's brought about a lot of separation anxiety and, uh, you know, reactive dog cases and things like that. So luckily, I'm here to help. Yeah. And having trained dogs for so long, like, you know, almost, you know, coming up on two decades now, have you noticed anything change in terms of like strategies or techniques or has it been kind of slow or is there something, you know, every year that you find yourself implementing into the dog training? What's that like? It's a great question. Absolutely. The industry has changed a lot in the time that I've been doing this. You know, it's an ever progressing field. Uh, I consider myself a reformed trainer in many ways. That's just because, you know, uh, 
keeping up with the times. Part of my professional certification, like in most uh, professions, you have to get continuing education. So, you know, to maintain my certificate every three years, I have to, to recertify and that involves doing seminars and webinars and uh, going to uh, gatherings of other professionals so that I can stay current on what's happening and, and so much new is being learned all the time about dogs capabilities about the way they learn so it's, it's evolving constantly and and it's, it's our responsibility to keep up with it i mean there are still countless trainers out there that are subscribing to old school techniques they're still buying fully into dominance theory and utilizing that as kind of the, the basis for their training which is dated and and largely inappropriate for pet dogs. So I'd say another element of this is the culture of dog ownership has changed a lot. And that's challenging for a professional because the science is what it is and the science hasn't changed. Although there's been new discoveries, the way dogs learn hasn't changed. But I think people's perception and people's expectations owning a dog is vastly different than it was even five years ago. Um, and that's going to change from region to region, you know, just like uh, cultural norms are different throughout the country for groups of people. It's definitely so in the dog training industry too. how people utilize and perceive pet ownership is different in all parts of the country. So, um, and even within our little pocket here in the Pittsburgh area, like, so for example, for the first 10 years of my career, I worked for a family-run business that was about 20 miles north of the city, and and it was a you know affluent suburban area, and a lot of people had land, space. You know, it was primarily attracting families, people with children, and and that detail really influenced the type of training that we were doing and and what a dog owner looked for out of their dog and then it was a bit of a culture shock for me whenever we opened up a place in a very urban environment because you know it, our demographic changed uh you know to mostly young professionals people either single or couples without children and so and a whole lot more rescues um, you know, as compared to people purchasing puppies at, at the business that I was used to working in. So it, it's, you got to be constantly adapting and evolving um, to, to do this job well. And uh, I like the challenge. Yeah, and it's cool to talk with someone who's not using that cookie cutter approach, who is, you know, leading by example, right? Where it's like, okay, we're not constantly implementing new uh, techniques. And I know that you mentioned the enrichment program, I think you mentioned that. Can you talk about that and kind of what your goals for that are um, at the dog stop? Understanding that that not every dog's a good candidate for dog daycare. Um, but I, I could go off on a tangent about about the, the perception of dog social ability, um, but, but suffice it to say, you know, an owner might arrive with a dog that either they recently adopted or they've had for a long time, they take their dog on play dates, their dog socializes other dogs. So it seems like it would be a good fit for the dog to come and socialize at our daycare facility. But but the, there's so many other variables that, that most people don't realize are going to influence their dog's performance or their dog's interest. 
uh, I'll take my own dog as an example, who is very social, very experienced. She's probably socialized with over a thousand dogs in her life, but she just doesn't like daycare and that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working to educate people on, look, there's nothing wrong with your dog just because it's not a good fit to go and play in a large group. Um, doesn't mean that they're not a good dog. Doesn't mean that they don't have a lot to offer. Doesn't mean that they don't enjoy lots of other things. So the enrichment program was kind of rolled out as another offering for somebody who needs our services. Maybe, you know, they work long hours. Maybe their dog gets stressed when they're not around. Maybe they just, you know, for their own peace of mind, they want to know their dog's cared for throughout the day. But if that dog isn't a good fit for just regular group socialization, we have additional options that we can give them. A couple of them would be um, obedience training. We offer to, to teach dogs how to walk or run on a treadmill. We do agility obstacles. We do uh, scent detection training. Um, you know, as far as young dogs and dogs who maybe were under socialized or underexposed, we can, we can build their confidence through teaching them new things. And it really goes a long way. Yeah. And I like that, that, that you guys are doing that. And I personally have talked with a few dog trainers on here before, and I haven't heard specifically of a program like that, which is why it interested me so much. And what are some basic training techniques for first time owners that you often see that they need to practice with their dogs specifically? Is there anything like, is there a glaring, you know, problem that you see when you, when you get dogs from these, you know, uh, working individuals, right. Or these foster dogs, or that were foster dogs now rescues that you end up taking, right? Obviously, not every dog is a candidate for day, daycare, but the ones that you are taking in, do you see a lot of like the same problems there? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, in, in today's climate, as I mentioned before, separation anxiety has been a major problem. And that's, that's come by very naturally because, you know, dogs that were brought home um, when an owner was either working from home or not working at all, they got used to the family being around all the time. And, you know, it was just kind of taken for granted that, okay, my dog's good. They're settled. They're happy when I'm home, but then they're in for a rude awakening whenever they have to go out to the grocery store or they begin going back to the office. And suddenly the dog is not okay with this because that's not what they're used to. You know, some dogs are more adaptable than others. Some dogs never experience separation anxiety. It's just a, an individual thing. But um, as far as training mistakes, in very broad and general terms, I run into setting of expectations is a big problem. I think um, there is a predominant assumption that the dogs know what we want from them. And because they have shown understanding of a principle or a task, like even as simple, something as simple as learning how to sit or stay, the owner assumes that because my dog has done it for me before for a treat, that they get it and that that's the end of it. And they, they should perform equally no matter what the circumstances. But dogs don't generalize what they know without our help. So what was learned in the living room with no distraction around can't really reasonably be expected at all other places unless you've properly prepared your dog for it and you've practiced it in all those places. Um, I think that and the still like the, the internet's a, a, a scary place, a blessing and a curse as far as information, because, you know, you can visit 
20 different websites about dog behavior and you're going to get 20 conflicting answers. So I think, you know, to a savvy person who does the research and goes and looks and, and tries to learn more, it's all a good thing. However, you have to keep an open mind and take everything with a grain of salt because, you know, the, the joke is like in many professions, you know, the only thing that, that two dog trainers can agree on is what the other one's doing wrong. So, you know, I, I, I don't think of it that way. I am a very open-minded person and, and I, I'm, I really like the fact that I can sit down with a first time dog owner who's never owned a dog in their life. who's never trained a dog. who's never learned anything. And I might take something from that appointment that I turn around and use in, in my training plan. If it's something that makes sense, you know, so, so that's where I think you know, everybody has something to offer and everything. Everybody has something to learn from somebody else. And, you know, what's so cool about this job is that I can come to work every single day and learn something new. And, and I often do. It's just something that, that, you know, there's so much to learn and no two dogs are exactly alike and no two cases are exactly alike. I mean, even if two, two or three people come to me on the same day with the same problem, I'm, I'm usually going to use three entirely different approaches to, to help them with the issue. So I feel like, and then the, the only other thought is a more, another general thing about frequent made dog owner mistakes is that we don't set the dogs up for success very well. There's, there's uh, always an element of reactivity in the owner. Um, so they wait until a problem has really established itself before seeking help. And it's so much easier to prevent than it is to cure. So if you can get ahead of issues and you can anticipate problems and you know raise the dog that you want them to be from the beginning, if you have the advantage of, of acquiring a dog when they're young, if not, then you know seek the help of a professional right away because you know you'll you'll you're doing the right thing by your dog by finding a right fit for them. Yeah, and I think that's a great that's a great insight, and I I totally relate to you know. When you when you go to a, a profession and you're always learning, um, it sounds like this industry is just like that. Now, I do have a specific question. It's uh, someone who's new to dog training, right? How long does it take to teach a dog something? Now, I guess something is yet to be clarified, but is that really dependent on the age of the dog, the dog breed? Does is the owner does the owner play into that too? Like. Are these all variables that like that uh, that go into that? Because it's like, OK, if I want to teach a dog how to, you know, sit or, you know, get rid of separation anxiety, I would imagine those are two different things. But yeah, but like, is there like a, a cookie cutter answer to that where it's like, I, you know, normal dogs, you can teach to sit if by, you know, in a week or a month or something like that. The most important factor is motivation. So, I mean, um, that's where I think more and more trainers are coming around to the positive reinforcement realm of things, which I'm, I'm a big proponent of, and that's what I use. So, you know, if you can get the dog in a position where they want the same thing that you want, then it's always going to be a victory for both of you. So um, when you start adding coercion or force, it's, it's going to stop being fun for the dog and it's not going to be something that they want to do. So a greater motivation for them is to, is to avoid doing it because it, it, 
keeps them away from the unpleasant feelings and, and you, you can imagine where that goes. So to teach a dog a trick or a behavior, you know, another thing that influences it greatly is who's doing it. You know, um, yeah, the owner has some influence over that. If they're just doing something mechanically wrong every single time that's causing the dog to get confused, then even a simple task might take them weeks or months. But if they can be shown how to do it correctly and they can, they can, and it's usually just a tiny little modification that the dog goes, aha, that's what you're looking for. That's what you wanted. Why didn't you say so? You know, so, so helping, what I do primarily is helping people better communicate with their dogs. And that sounds a little bit corny, but that's, that's exactly what it is. Uh, what's, what's the old saying about you, you give a man a fish, you'll eat for a day, you teach a man to fish, you'll eat for the rest of his life. So, so that's kind of my, my goal is I want to teach people how to do it. Um, it doesn't do the dog owner much good for me to do it for them because as soon as I'm out of the picture, they're back where they started. But if I can teach the owner how to do what I do, then they can succeed on their own without me. Wow, that's great. That's just the answer I was kind of looking for. So um, that makes total sense. Now, what are some things, you know, 2020, you already mentioned, kind of a booming year for the dog business. You know, more people staying at home. You know, they're like, let's go ahead and get a dog. Now, 2021 is here. What are some things you guys are working on that, you know, the direction you're heading um, and some things that you're excited about? Well, this is, this is something that, that hopefully it's not, it's, I don't think it's ever going to be too late for this. One, one thing that we launched pretty much at the beginning of the pandemic is we have a, a mobile app that uh, is still kind of in development, but it is operational right now. We use the app. I actually, just yesterday, I have a client um, who is in, in the Bay Area, and I, since probably May of last year, I've had a standing weekly appointment with them. I've never met them in person. I've never met their dog. But we have had a quite a, a, a booming training relationship for the last seven or eight months. And, um, you know, it's all done virtually through our app so that people can, can request an appointment. They can enter in the behavior issues that they're having. There's a little survey to fill out. They can upload payment information directly on there. And we schedule it in 20 minute increments. So, you know, I have this, this set appointment with them that, that we connect. I sit here at my desk. We catch up on the on the events of the past week. We go over trouble areas. We go over things that are going well, things that aren't going well. And I even have the ability to like if if there's something that needs a specific demonstration, I can set my camera up so that I can take a dog that's being trained in the kennel and I can say this is how I taught this dog to do X Y Z. And and so the it's really limitless. I mean, well. The only limitation is that, that, that I'm not able to physically handle the dog, but, but it's, it's continuing to excite me what the potential is for the virtual training space is that, you know, uh, all it takes is, is the right people with the knowledge and we could reach people anywhere in the world if we wanted to. So, um, that's something that I'm, I'm pretty excited about to try to, try to get that off the ground in a more meaningful way. Um, you know, and of course, the stuff that's here in person, I think, you know, I'm, as far as job security goes, the need for somebody who knows dogs really well is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, you know, it's, the industry grows by the billions every year. So, you know, from a business standpoint, that's exciting, but I also really enjoy helping people. I think that's the, that's what, what brings me into work every day. I mean, I, you might, 
scratch your head at that and say, well, what do you mean people, not dogs? Well, of course I love dogs. I mean, that's, I wouldn't have gone into this field if it wasn't a love for dogs, but I'm also very much a people person and this is a people industry. So, you know, as I said earlier, my ability to train dogs is not really my, my unique strength. There's a lot of good dog trainers out there, but I think my, my ability to relate the information to the people who live with the dog is so much more valuable than just my, my talent as a dog trainer. That's a really unique perspective. And it's so true. You're exactly right. It's like, you know, being able to communicate that with the actual uh, person who owns the dog, because you're, I think you mentioned it earlier where you're only there for like a sliver of time, but then once they're, you know, once they're out of your hands, it's like, you know, it's, it's up to that person who received your information to kind of do something with it. And that's so cool that you're working on that app too. I mean, the fact, like not everyone can get in to see a dog trainer or, you know, whatever their circumstances. So now it's, especially the fact that the skill sets you guys have, it's like, all right, let's kind of implement this, you know, across the nation, you know, and beyond. So that's so cool. And where can people find you guys at? Where, you know, social media, contact info, where, where can we find you at? For the Dog Stop brand, we have uh, both. We have social, we have uh, Facebook, we have Instagram, and we are, as I said, on the app, you can get that on the, on both the, the Apple App Store and on Android. Um, that one's just called The Dog Stop. We're at The Dog Stop on Instagram, The Dog Stop on Facebook. It's all pretty easy to find us. Because we're franchising, we're constantly opening up new stores in different regions. Uh, we're mostly over on the East Coast, but but we're kind of, a, we're our farthest north store is, is up in Delaware. We have some down in Florida. We have some in Texas. We have some across some of the southern states. We just opened a new store in Virginia, Ohio. So it's expanding and, and we're looking to, to broaden our reach. The longer we do this, the better we get. And every link, everything he talked about will be in the description below on whatever medium you're listening on. Brett, once again, so great having you on. I feel like I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did too. Thank you again. Talk soon. Have a good one. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.